You're listening to So You Want to Be a Writer, the podcast that's all about the world of writing and publishing. My name's Valerie Koo, and I'm your co-host and CEO of the Australian Writer Centre, where you'll find writing courses and an incredibly supportive writing community. I usually co-host this podcast every week with Alison Tate, also known as A.L. Tate, author extraordinaire, and her latest book is The Firestar, a Maven and Reeve mystery. I am without the wonderful Alison in this in-between episode, which we drop in between our regular programming, and I'm going to treat you to a story session. Just you, me, and our guest author of the week. This is where you'll hear the first chapter of a book, usually read by the author themselves, just for us. And also, they give us a little bit of an insight into their writing journey. Listening to the first chapter like this lets you sample something new while you're peeling vegetables or cleaning out the kitty litter. We all love to discover new authors, but sometimes it's not that easy to get to the bookshop or uh, check out or have the time to check out what's on offer. So we've brought the bookshop straight to your ears. This week, I've chosen The Others by Mark Brandy. This is the latest novel from the best-selling Australian author of Wimmera and The Rip. Once again, Mark has crafted an evocative story with a tense, underlying thread of fear. Here's the blurb so you can find out a little bit more about the book. On his 11th birthday, Jacob's father gives him a diary to write about things that happen, about what he and his father do on their farm, about the sheep, the crop, the fox and the dam. But Jacob knows some things should not be written down. Some things should not be remembered. The only things he knows for sure are what his father has taught him. Sheltered, protected, isolated. But who is his father protecting him from and how far will his father go to keep the world at bay? All too soon, Jacob will learn that sometimes people do the most terrible things. So now here is Mark Brandy reading from his latest novel, The Others. Hello, I'm Mark Brandy and I'm the author of The Others. And Valerie from the Australian Writers' Centre has asked me here today to record the answers to some questions before I narrate the first chapter of The Others. So here goes, here's question one. What inspired me to write this story? Well. I guess there are parallels uh, to my first book, Wimra, um, in, in the way that I came to write the others, because both those stories actually began as short stories. And in the case of the others, it was a short story I wrote back in, I think it was 2015, 2016, called The Fox. And that short story, uh, which was published in Mianjin, was a, a fictionalised account of some uh, true events from my youth. Uh, because I grew up in in rural Victoria, and we um, we had we lived in a town, but we had a farm on the outskirts of town uh, where we had sheep. And there were issues on that farm with um, uh, rabbits and foxes and, 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 and vermin, like most farms. And we used to go out there hunting sometimes, which I had really mixed feelings about as a kid because I, I, I loved animals, but I, I guess I understood that it, that it had to be done if we were going to have a farm. And we also set traps on, on that farm. And people might remember um, back 
well, they're not legal anymore, but certainly they were in the 80s. That There were these terrible um, steel-jawed traps uh, that used to be used for rabbits and foxes, and they're, they're really quite quite horrible things when you look back on it now. But uh, my dad used to set those traps around the property, um, and uh, on, on one occasion he'd, he'd been out to the farm and he came back to, to our house afterwards and he said to me, you know, get, come out to the car, I've got something to show you. And um, in the back seat of the car there was kind of a bundle and he, and he took it out and there was a, a young fox that he'd caught on the farm and its leg was a bit wounded, obviously, from the trap and he, he took it inside and, and I was mesmerised and kind of wondering what what we're going to do with this fox and what was going to happen. And and what then um, occurred was that my, my dad, like, dressed the wound on its leg and, um, you know, and, and, and cared for it, basically. And I was... Um, a bit perplexed by all this, but he made a, an enclosure in the backyard for it. We then proceeded really to keep the fox um, more or less as a as a pet. And you know, uh, and I guess as a kid, I was looking at this thing. What's going on here? You know, we 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 kind of we try to kill these um, animals out on the farm, but but here's my dad um, caring for one and and you know imploring us to care for it too. And I suppose that, that was probably one of my, you know, I was about seven or eight years old, and that was one of my earliest insights into really some of the complexities and contradictions of um, adulthood and parenthood. And you know, I, I won't give away what happened in that um, in that fox story because it's it's quite pivotal to the story of the others as well. And and I guess I returned to that short story probably in 2018 so a couple of years after it was first published and I felt like there was more to be told there there was more of a story and there was more in that voice but I guess you know in a deeper sense it probably uh, was inspired I think by the relationship that my father had with his father um, growing Growing up in in kind of post-war Italy in a very remote location, uh, there's certainly some parallels there um, between the story of Jacob and his father in the others, and the story of my father and my grandfather. But again, I won't give away too much there because I don't want to uh, give any spoilers at, at this stage. So on to question two: Can you describe the writing process? Well, I think it, it, for every book, it's it's different for me. Um, on a kind of a, a day-to-day level, I suppose I'm I'm a bit of an insomniac, so I um, I, I get up quite late and and kind of um, uh, tend to kind of admi- administrative sort of stuff in the mornings, walk the dog, um, take it pretty easy. But I I, I suppose I, I see that as kind of part of my process in a way but maybe that's a little bit cheeky but I I start work around um, maybe 11.30 around midday I'll start start writing and you know I I guess at a at a a broader level I I don't have um, 
a clear direction of where I'm going when I'm writing, and, and I think that's been true of all three of my books, uh, Wimra, The Rip, and the others, that where it really starts for me is with character and with voice. And it sounds like one of those really um, wanky writer things to say, but it, it's really the, the, the characters that that dictate to me where a story will go and what a um, what will happen in a given situation. So I, you know, I might have a, a, a broad idea of where I would like the story to head, um, but uh, I'm certainly not a not a planner, ch- chapter by chapter, and in every one of my books I've found that um, the the story or the plot has deviated from where I originally thought it was going to go because as your characters become more fully developed and realised, you come to know what they will or won't do in a given situation. And I, and I think that for me it's really about doing justice to those characters and, and, and to that voice. And I, I suppose at a, you know, um, deeper level, really, I, I try to write, um, particularly in my early drafts, from from my heart, I, I suppose, and, and and try not to self-censor too much because, like, I had a, a fantastic teacher when I was studying um, writing at RMIT, um, a Polish poet, uh, the late Anja Walwitz, and she really encouraged us to to write without self-censoring and to write with freedom and to let it out on the page. And I think that it, that was so critical to me um, in in my path as a writer. And that, that's not the same for everyone, but, but that worked for me. So in those early drafts, I'll just let it out on the page. I, I, I won't edit as I go. And I'll try to stay in touch with the manuscript every day. Um, you know, of course, life gets in the way sometimes and you've got other commitments but even for you know if it's for 15 20 minutes rereading what i um the last thing i wrote i found that staying in touch with it's really important because if i leave it for too long i find it quite difficult to pick up the threads of where i was at so once i've look it probably takes a, a few months um before i've got a complete first draft and then the revision process after that is really a matter of leaving it for a while, giving myself some distance, then rereading and redrafting. And I suppose with, with Wimra and, and the rip, I, I probably had a, a wider circle of, of readers that I, that I gave it to. Um, nowadays I, I, I tend to rely and, and perhaps trust a bit more in, in my agent and my, my publisher and, and their feedback because I think that they, they really know my voice and they know what I'm, I'm trying to do sometimes better than what I do. So, um, I, I'm very, very fortunate to have that, that relationship. So question three, what was the most challenging aspect of writing this book? Well, I, I, I think it's probably the constraint of a young boy's voice because The Others is written from a first-person perspective of, of Jacob, who's 11 years old. And it's written in this epistolary um, form of, of, of diary entries because the father gives him 
the diary um, at the very beginning of the book. And I think that writing from that viewpoint where, you know, Jacob's had a very sheltered existence, he's he's homeschooled and and, and very isolated existence, Um, but even if that were not the case, writing from an 11-year-old's perspective, you you have a limited um, repertoire, I suppose, of vocabulary and sophistication to draw from. So um, in order to paint a compelling uh, a story that is still uh, drawing the reader in, but um, I suppose allowing space for the reader to draw their own inferences as well. And, you know, it's, it's a double-edged sword because with with that young voice, there's such beauty to it and there's such innocence. And that was something I really wanted to capture in this book that was, was so important that in, in Jacob's viewpoint. But you can't have him being, you know, um, so precocious and so intelligent that he's, he's then, um, you know, launching into kind of um, poetic observations about the world and about his father. But you, certainly you do see throughout the progression of the book um, uh, a deepening of his understanding about the world and, and that's that was really important and that's part of his coming of age, I guess. But having that constraint of that voice was probably the most difficult aspect. But, you know, that I think good art in some ways requires constraint. And, you know, looking back at my first two books, um, in Wimra there was an omniscient third-person perspective, so it, I, I didn't have so much constraint there, but, but certainly in the rip there, there was because it was... Um, the, the character of Danny, uh, who again was in a first-person perspective, certainly was was street smart, but not traditionally educated, um, and so the, there was some 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 limits again in in her voice. And I, you know, I I, I don't mind that as a writer because I, I like that as a reader too. Like some of my favourite books are, are, are written from from similar perspectives. So yeah, I'm not sure where I'll go go next after this, but, but um, but certainly that was probably the the most challenging part of writing this book. So now, question four: What was the most rewarding aspect of of writing this book? Ah, uh, you know, I I feel I feel that this has been true again of of of, of all my books that the the most satisfying or rewarding part is when you feel as though it's it's more or less finished, you know, and that's that's certainly not at the end of the, the first draft or the second draft or third or fourth or fifth. It's well beyond that, but there will become a point where um, you, you feel as though the essence of the story is down, you've done justice to the characters that... Um, any kind of changes thereafter are likely to be at the margins, but you, you feel like that it is the story that you wanted to tell. And always when that comes for me, I, I feel quite emotional. Um, and, you know, I, that, that's happened in each of my books that I've, I've felt quite like I wouldn't say upset, but they're probably you know tears of happiness if anything when I get to that point. I, I think that it's it's a really special moment because 
what you're trying to do or what I'm trying to do in, in writing is um, express something, I suppose, um, unique uh, that, that is in that story that I want to tell and through those characters. And when I feel like I've achieved that, that is really the main thing for me, you know. Anything else that follows from that, um, like publication, um, like good sales or awards, if you're lucky, all of that is just um, is is cream in a lot of ways. You know, that's it's it's wonderful and it's wonderful to connect connect with readers. That's the best part. Um, but you know, none of that would happen without that moment of, of feeling like you've finished the story. And so that is, is the big moment for me. And, and, and that's where, um, I feel the most satisfaction and the most reward. So to question five, what are your top three tips to aspiring writers? Um, you know, like the world is full of, of, of advice to writers and and I sort of don't want to repeat or add to the, the myriad um, lists of, of advice. So, but I guess if I was to, to name, name three things, um, persistence is really important and that's a really boring thing to say. It's not very sexy at all. Um, but persistence, you know, with, with Wimra, that took me a long time to write. Um, I rewrote it more times than I can count. Um, radical restructures, ditched 30,000 words, rewrote 50,000 words. You know, it, it was like it's, it's history is just littered with, um, you know, discarded, um, uh, points of view and, um, whole, um, new uh, plot diversions along the way um, that are, are buried in um, draft folders on my desktop. So uh, I, you know, you, you've got to you've got to stick at it. And Wimmera got rejected left, right, and centre. It got rejected by I think every um, major and minor publisher in Australia, sometimes multiple times. So um, you know, I, I don't I don't think persistence is. Uh, by any means a guarantee of of success um but at least you give yourself a chance and i if if that is if you want um your book to be published and if you want it out in the world and you want to connect with readers and not everyone does i mean it, it partly the process um that that's important and i, I guess i'll come to that in, in a second but it, you you know you, you do need I think persistence and luck, and you can't, um, I guess, uh, impact the luck side of things too, ma too much. Uh, a lot of that is just timing and the zeitgeist and the right person picking up your manuscript, um, and you know, subject to what they they have on their list as well. And but you know, you only give yourself a a, a better shot if you if you stick at it and and you don't uh, I guess um, uh, fold at the first rejection. So you've got to learn from those experiences, but but not um, have them be um, mortal wounds, if I can put it that way. Um, the other sort of I, I guess more 
um, uh, practical uh, tip that I'd have is to to read your work out loud. That's something that that I do um, repeatedly with my drafts, and I find then that I'll pick up on issues of of rhythm uh, in the work, and um, uh, also where, particularly with dialogue, where something just does not ring true, um, whether or not a person would say that, or um, whether it's got the right cadence, or um, yeah, I, I think your, your work can only benefit from reading it out loud. It certainly won't do it damage. Um, and I've made some of my, you know, my significant edits after reading my work out loud. So I think it's always useful. Uh, and the last thing is probably to, to go back to my earlier point about enjoying the process. And, and that can be hard sometimes because, it can be a drag. Like you'll have some days where things just aren't working and um, the words aren't flowing and you just think, oh, this is a terrible piece of work. And, you know, I remember seeing Christos Cholkas um, give a talk years ago and he was saying, you know, just about that roller coaster of emotions that you have when you're drafting. And you look at your work one day and, and think this is genius and the next day think it is just garbage. And I, I, experience that you know without fail with all my drafts um and it's just a lot of it's just down to your mood sometimes and i think that um you know to to make this answer very circular that goes back to persistence as well because even when you're having those bad days you, you kind of got to work through it but it, it is it, as a, I, I guess a a bigger picture um, principle. It's it's important to enjoy what you're doing because if you're not enjoying it more than you're um, not enjoying it, if I if I can put it that way, um, it, there's probably not a lot of point. Like you, you need to enjoy that expression um, of, of writing, um, whether or not it, it leads to something bigger. Um, so there's a, a lot beyond your control, but you, you need to enjoy it. And, and I, I, you know, I feel very lucky to have found writing and, um, it, it just enriches me in so many ways, but, but mostly at a, um, I guess an emotional and spiritual level, like the, you know, sitting down at the desk every day and working and putting words on a page, there's nothing else that I, I feel like I should be doing. And I, I can't say that for uh, anything else in my life. I think that the writing is 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 really my thing. And and, and if you feel that, um, you, you, you've got to stick at it, I think. And, um, you know... Uh, it's 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 a wonderful thing to and a, and a privilege to really to be able to write and connect with readers. So it's not something I, I personally ever take for granted, and I don't think any of us should. Now I'm going. I think I'm done with the questions, and uh, and I apologise if you've been hearing snoring in the background. That's my dog. She um, is in the study with me always when I'm when I'm working. Um, so so she's part of my process as well, I suppose. But now I'm going to narrate uh, the first chapter, which is actually the prologue um, of my of my third book, The Others. I don't think of you much anymore. No one really knows about you. Only Sam, and she can't tell anyone. I don't have many friends, don't need them. You taught me that. 
Even if I did have friends, I couldn't tell them. Good thing is, people around here don't ask too many questions, and what they don't know, they make up, which is fine by me. Plus, the rent's cheap. The reminders are less frequent nowadays, less keenly felt. More often, if I'm honest, I'm searching for the feeling, just to feel something. It's as though if I don't feel it anymore, it isn't real. Sometimes I tell myself that's true. But then other times it comes from nowhere, like something sticking in my guts, even after all these years. It took me a long time to realise what happened, even if I've never really understood. When I was a kid, I thought everything would be okay, that you might come back and make things all right again, that they might help you and you'd get better too. I didn't realise what I was feeling was grief. Sam's helped with that. Before therapy, I didn't know I was allowed to feel that sorrow for what I lost and for what I never had. I didn't know I was allowed to because of the things you did, the things I found out. I also felt guilt, guilt about what happened, but that's getting better. Or it was, until last night, and then today. Last night I read a news story. It was a similar case, but not the same. They're never exactly the same. And only sometimes do I get a mention, just for a local angle, I guess. Has similarities to, reminiscent of, like the infamous... I read the article, read it again, searched for other reports. I only had a minute before I had to get back on my shift. I do night shifts mostly, better money, less talk. It wasn't the same though, none could ever be the same as us. What you did, what I did too. I woke up and had a feeling, the feeling of you being near. When I shut my eyes, I could almost see you, your gold tooth. Can't remember exactly what you look like anymore. And you'd be different now anyway, if you're still out there. You're a spectre, drifting into my thoughts without a proper invite, and then out again, less of a trace, less form, with each passing year. I can't remember everything, but I remember some things pretty clear. Your anger. The soft eyes, too. But the feeling is something different. And the feeling is something I'm less able to get hold of. Can't conjure it. It just comes unexpectedly. And it wasn't the news story that did it so much. It was something else. And then I saw it. There's a gum tree in my backyard. A big one. When the wind's up, it creaks and cracks like it might be about to fall. It's done so for ages. My neighbour would love to see it gone. It's more likely to fall on me than him, unfortunately. I like to look at it. I like to watch its branches in the breeze, and I look for subtle changes. The loss of bark, the beginning of a wattlebird's nest, a new sprout. All of these things I notice. You taught me to notice. You taught me on our walks. I was drinking a coffee in the kitchen, looking out. I've always needed those moments, the quiet. More so lately. I watched the tree, the gentle sway of its branches, the grey sky behind, and I could sense something, 
something different, but I wasn't sure what. I looked it up and down a few times, and something wasn't quite right. And I felt it. I felt it before I saw. It was a broken branch, a small one, stood up between two of the larger roots, leaning against the trunk. The sort of thing no one else would notice. But I noticed. I noticed because I watched that tree, and because I'm careful, like you taught me. I knew it was a message. I didn't finish my coffee. I went out there, into the cool of the morning. I picked up the branch, studied it. There was nothing to be read from its leaves, its smooth skin. I placed it on the ground. I didn't want anyone else to notice, didn't want them to see what I saw. But no one else would see or understand. That's the whole point. Only me and you, we're the only ones who'd know. The only ones who knew. And I know you might come for me. Because I had to choose. Because I'm one of the others. You taught me a lot when I was young. A lot of things that made me who I am. Like keeping a diary. You said that would help. It had helped my writing, you said. And helped keep my thoughts in order. I've still got the old diaries. But I never look at them. It wouldn't hurt to look now. I know what happened, of course, most of it at least. The facts, I mean, not the feelings. The feelings I've kept out. Had to. But I remember some of the things you said. I remember one thing you said, especially, more than once. If the others come, everything will change. You were wrong about a lot of things, most things really. You were right about that. Sam reckons I should read them. She says to understand ourselves in the present, we need the context of our past. We need to attach meaning. It's no good just repressing our feelings. That's what she tells me. But she doesn't know everything. Everything that happened, I mean. No one knows that. Only me and you. If she knew everything, she might think it's better not to look back, because sometimes things are better left in the past. Dangerous things. Things like you. The branch against the gum tree is a message. I know it. I know you're watching, and now the past is here. So I need to look back and remember what you told me, what you did. I have to remember all about you. I have to remember, so I'm ready. So I'm ready if you're coming. I'll get the rifle out too, just in case, in case you're coming, just in case you're coming for me. You can really feel the foreboding, can't you? Especially with that repetition at the end. Very powerful. I found it interesting that Mark found his biggest challenge was writing from the point of view of an 11-year-old child. Reading the book, it doesn't feel constrained at all. It's very compelling. To find out who is coming for him, make sure you grab a copy of The Others by Mark Brandy, which is out now with Hachette Australia. If you'd love to have your own book published one day, the best place to start is with our Write Your Novel program at the Australian Writer Centre. That's what Margaret Morgan did before she went on to publish her stunning debut novel, The Second Cure. Hear Margaret's story here. 
Hi, my name is Margaret Morgan. I'm an author. Um, I've just had my first novel published and I'm working on my second. I've been a writer all my life, um, either professionally or just for fun, and squeezed into other professions, but um, it's definitely where I'm staying now. I decided to do the course at uh, the Australian Writers' Centre, um, Write Your Novel, the six-month course, when a friend told me about it and I realised it was exactly what I needed at that point to help me get the novel written and to give me the kind of support I needed. I was prompted to take the course specifically because I wanted the kind of encouragement and support that a six-month ongoing course would allow me. The tutor in the course was really fantastic, somebody who's written many, many novels herself and um, is very encouraging and really is good at identifying the strengths and weaknesses in writing. One of the impacts that the course has had on me has been to demonstrate to me that I actually can be a writer, can be a novelist specifically. It has allowed me to make connections that otherwise I wouldn't have been able to make within the industry. And probably one of the best things about it is the writing group that was formed with a bunch of us in that particular course. And that was like, what, three or four years ago. We're still meeting every month and critiquing each other's work. And it's a really valuable thing. Through the course at the Australian Writers' Centre, I discovered that I really could be a novelist. And that was such a revelation to me and such a delight. It was something I'd always wanted and suddenly now I've got it. I would say you really should join the Australian Writers' Centre because it's staffed by real professionals. It's a really good, well-structured organisation that's got great courses that are practical as well as inspiring. Anyone who's thinking of doing one should really think about it very seriously because it's a very, very valuable organisation and the courses are terrific. Find out more at writercentre.com.au slash novel writing. Thanks for listening to Story Sessions of So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find more details about the podcast and a wealth of writing resources and courses at writerscentre.com.au. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre. Do connect with us on social media, on Twitter and Instagram at writerscentreau, and, of course, connect with us personally in our free podcast listener community on Facebook. Just search for So You Want to Be a Writer podcast community and request to join. Alice and I will be back to our regular programming in the next episode. Thanks for listening and I look forward to chatting to you again next time.